Welcome to the broadcast. This is Michael Easley in Context, where we try to integrate the context of how you live your Christian life as a believer in the context where God has placed you. So today, I'm thrilled, happy, joyful, excited, intrigued, anxious to talk to this young man, Daniel Ramsey, who was named the president of Ramsey Solutions on December 5th, 2022. So how many days have you been president now? It's been two days? <laughs> it's been two days. <laughs> You're a pro now. You're an expert, Daniel. Oh, man. He leads the company's business departments, which includes Entree Leadership, Ramsey Education, Smart Dollar, Ramsey Plus, and Ramsey Trusted. What's Ramsey Trusted? Yeah, so it's our provider network of different people who we refer you to. So real estate agents, investing professionals. So that's ELP? That's right. Okay, so ELP was endorsed local provider, and now is it same thing? Yep, same Ramsey thing. Trusted. He's passionate about expanding Ramsey Solutions' ability to help more people finding new ways to meet customers' needs and creating products to empower them. As a Ramsey family member and a member of the operating board, which we'll talk about in a moment, Daniel has had significant impact in many areas of the company since he joined the team in 2014. Now, let's, let's start. First of all, I doubt any of our listeners are unaware of Dave Ramsey and the Dave Ramsey Show, but it's 30, how many years now? 30 years. 30 yeah. years. 30 years on the radio. So your dad started out, he was talking about how to get out of debt and how to pay off a mortgage and so forth and so on. And he had starts and stops and the ministry grew. And we first came here 15 years ago. And I remember going to the building right over here <laughs> and when your dad had the corner office and I had an appointment with him, which he didn't do in those days, but he was kind enough to let this new guy come say hi. He had a big flat screen monitor with his outlook calendar. And Patty was on the other side, you know, and I kept watching appointments being bumped. <laughs> and I felt really bad, but we were just having a good time talking, you know. I think he had 220 employees back then, and now you're, what, north of 1,100? Right at 1,100. 1,100 right. employees. So 15 years ago, you were, what, 15? I was. I was 16. 16. <laughs> wow, I'm feeling That's really crazy old. to think about. Yeah, so we went to your church when I was in high school, middle school. And so, yeah, it's full circle now. It's really fun calling you friends and being able to Absolutely. know you deeper. It's a blessing, brother. Mm. So let's talk about growing up in the Dave Ramsey household. You're the youngest of three. Denise is your oldest sister. Rachel is, if they know anything about Ramsey Solutions, they see Rachel everywhere. They do, yeah. <laughs> and Daniel's <laughs> kind of in the background. Who's Daniel Ramsey? What's it like growing up in the Ramsey home? Everybody wants to know. You know, I don't think it was any different from my perspective. Obviously, it was. I think everyone's home they grow up in, they assume that's what everyone's childhood is like or similar. And so for me, I thought it was all normal. And I think our parents did a really good job of being intentional about being normal. My dad didn't act like he was famous or that he had the size of ministry that he did. And so I knew he was in business. You know, people would make comments every now and then. The biggest thing I noticed as a kid, though, was when we, we would go out to eat and we would see someone come up to our table and say, hey, are you Dave Ramsey? Oh, my gosh, you changed my life. And as a son, as a kid watching that, you know, your dad's already your hero and getting to hear people after people hmm. come up to your father and say things like that just elevates him in your mind. You yeah. Know? So so that was just a really cool experience for me growing up to make me have a lot of pride 
in who I in am the family. and in mm-hmm. my family and in my my father. We weren't like forced to budget like crazy yeah, or yeah. like we didn't have mutual fun parties <laughs> or anything weird growing up. Like oh, we had a, we all thought a that, pretty yeah. normal childhood, I, yeah. I think. And the area I grew up in town, it wasn't like a, a big deal. Like people didn't treat it like it was some crazy thing. Yeah. My yeah. friends. And, well, in the neighborhood where, where we lived, mm-hmm. not far from y'all, I mean, it was a upper middle class neighborhood. It That's wasn't right. ostentatious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't remember my dad buying or either of my parents having a new car. And so I was probably in high school. So it's not like they spent money in large ways or whatnot. Later, they built a really nice house. Yes. Later, they got nice cars. And I wasn't older until that happened. And so I didn't grow up around that. I didn't know I w- we had money really until yeah. probably I was in high school. I mean, I knew my dad was a successful business person. I knew he did really well. I knew he had a huge impact on a lot of people. But for me, I didn't know. My life didn't look any different than my friends. Now, I know a little bit about your sister's stories, but what were your interests in high school? What were you doing? Were you in sports? Were you in you know drama class? What were you doing? Yeah, I was a very average high schooler. When I say that, I mean, <laughs> I didn't stand out in any particular way. I got a lot of Bs, a couple As, and maybe a C or two in there. So my grades were, were fine. I played ice hockey and lacrosse as sports, and I was very average at both of those. I was never the star player, far from it, in fact. And I loved it. I loved the camaraderie. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm talking to a guy who can barefoot ski backwards, you know. <laughs> I'm waiting to see a picture of you ski on your hands. So you have to have some pretty big athletic chops. Well, I mean, growing up, we spent all our summers at the lake, and skiing was something just like – that was just part of being a Ramsey. Like we loved it. And so it was a great time for me and my dad to bond. And I did it my whole life. Skiing, water skiing is something that most people don't have access to. Most people don't regularly do it. So the people that are good at it look way more athletic than they really are. So I'd say if everyone in my high school water skied on a regular basis, I would probably be middle of the pack. But because I was one of the few people. I don't know. You're barefoot skiing. I've seen those videos going 40 miles an hour, whatever it is, jumping off off a bridge illegally, but we're not going to talk about that. But when I was in high school, I I always had, I always enjoyed business. I enjoyed work. I worked in the family business quite a bit growing up. I'd be in the shipping department, packing Mm -hmm. boxes or or Mm -hmm. small stuff like that. And then... When I was in high school, they actually started putting me on the phone doing sales. And so that I really enjoyed. And You enjoyed cold calls when you were in high school? Well, no one really likes cold calling. I mean, that's hard. And there was one summer my dad, you know, I got put on the sales team and my dad basically told them, hey, give him an, an area that he can't screw up. You know, give him a thing where it won't hurt us. And you're how old at this point? I was probably 15 okay. or 14 or okay. something. And so they gave me a territory of North and South Dakota, Idaho, Wyoming, you know, Montana or something like that. And so I was calling churches, selling them one of our events that we had previously recorded. And we were selling back to them the, the playback. And yeah, that was hard. It was summertime calling Ooh. churches in Ooh. South Dakota. Of course, you know how churches are in the summer, they're a little bit slower. They're doing more vacation, more planning type exercises. Waiting on so, committees. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Waiting on committees. That's, so that, that was not a fun summer in many ways. In other ways, it was great too. So, well, and I think your dad told me more than once that you, you kind of hit that out of a park. Even, even that was something you succeeded. You excel at. I got some wins in there. Yeah. I think there were some summers that were better than others. Sure. And I think as a, 
as a looking back, I think my dad liked to celebrate me a little bit more than maybe I deserved. <laughs> and then I think later in life it turned in a little bit of the opposite. So <laughs> uh, as you got older, yeah. yeah. So I know you had a profound interest in young life, but what's your story? How did you come to Christ, Daniel? How how did mm-hmm. that work in your life? Yeah. So I grew up in the church. My family was always modeled a relationship with Jesus so well. Like my parents, I remember every morning really waking up and coming downstairs early, my parents would be drinking their coffee, reading their Bible, having their quiet time. So they modeled that so well. They Mm -hmm. talked to us about it as kids so much and so well. So I always grew up believing. I didn't really have issues or like with the faith. I didn't have any like scars or anything like that or pessimism towards it. But I did go through a season in high school where I looked at my friends and I looked at the world around me and thought, hey, this whole God thing, like, God, I know you're real or I think you're real. I'm going to really do this whole thing when I'm older. I'll check back in with me in 10 years. <laughs> and and really, like, that was kind of a, a conversation I yeah. had with God. And so I kind of went on my own path for several years and wanted to live life like I saw in the movies, wanted to live life like I saw my friends and the people around me. So I didn't kill anyone. Uh, nothing ever like that happened. <laughs> We're grateful. We're grateful. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? And obviously, I, as a high schooler, there were times where we drank on the weekends or I was chasing after the wrong girls or mm-hmm. hanging out with the wrong crew. And that was fine. It was an experience in that time. And obviously, I wish I wouldn't want my son mm-hmm. to do those things. But for me, it was a journey that I had to go through. It was what God led me on. And I went through that process because I really kind of spiraled downward in just the emotional place I was. And Mm -hmm. I really recognized that there was something missing and I kept wanting more and more and more. And so I was looking for who's the next person I can date or the next party or the next whatever I was looking for. And as I kind of did that, at the same time, one person who entered my life that was really impactful was a Young Life leader. And so Young Life, it was at our high school. If you aren't familiar with Young Life, it's a high school ministry that's an outreach ministry. And so they really go after the kids who don't go to church. They go after typically the lost and disinterested kids. And so my group of friends was definitely that. And so this Young Life leader started befriending my friends and being around us and meeting us where we were. And he didn't judge us. He didn't go out of his way to preach to us. He really just was friends with us and connected with us and told funny stories and came to sporting events and things like that and just really built a trust with us. And so over the course of my senior year, he really created that relationship and that trust. And so we started going to Young Life where we did hear about the gospel Mm -hmm. and that was presented in such a beautiful way. And over time, heard that more and more. And so... I got to a low point in my life about a month after I graduated where I decided that what I was missing, I realized one evening I was just by myself in my room praying. I didn't know I was praying, but I was talking to myself almost like, gosh, what is, what is wrong? Like, why am I not happy? I'm doing all these things. I have everything you think I would want, but what's missing? And I felt God in that moment really speak and and say to me, that I'm what's missing. And so right there, I just honestly prayed for the first time in a long time Mm. and asked him into my life. And 
So would you say that was the time you really truly trusted Christ and Christ alone, that you kind of lived under the umbrella of a Christian environment, but that was when you owned your faith? That's exactly right. Nice. That's right. So I didn't really know what to do with that. I woke up the next morning and it felt all great and it felt like a dream, but I was like, <laughs> what, now? what does this mean? Like, <laughs> you know, I, I know I grew up in this Christian home, but right. like, I can't talk to my parents about this. Sure. This is weird, you know? <laughs> So the first person I went to was my young life leader. I love it. You know, he had built that trust and that relationship and we went out to lunch and I told him kind of everything. You know, he didn't know a lot of the stuff that he didn't know how I spent my weekends. I mean, he probably Mm -hmm. did, but not the full extent of it. And he loved me so well and he really taught me over the course of that summer what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and how to practically do that. And he also encouraged me to talk about it and to tell my friends and to tell my parents. Was that hard to talk about it? God, it was the worst. It was the worst. Yeah, I did not want to have that conversation. Made cold calling look easy, huh? That's right. That's right. And so had those conversations. My parents thought I was a perfect kid. They had no idea. Right, right. I was pretty good at hiding these things from them. And so they were, you know, they were surprised, but, but obviously happy. And that really started our relationship to be so much deeper. Nice. And us to connect on ways that I had honestly been avoiding. You know, sure. talking to them about. So you then go off to uh, UT because if you live in Middle Tennessee, you have to go to UT, <laughs> and if you can't get into UT, you go to Auburn, right? No, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> or Mississippi State, I guess. So you went to college, and from what I've heard secondhand, you wanted like young life was your life. Now it was like college. Oh yeah, I'll do college, <laughs> but you you really found a, a niche. Yeah. So, you know, I was fresh on the heels of starting a relationship with Jesus and was really eager to find community that put Christ first. And young life for me in high school was what what really brought me to the Lord. And so in college, I saw that as a great opportunity for me mm-hmm. to serve and for me to, to also find community. And so I got, young life was amazing in Knoxville and got plugged in there and had great mentors pouring into me. And then became a, a volunteer leader where I was leading out of high school myself. I didn't know what I was doing. Like, I can't believe they placed an 18-year-old, you know, the, you know, so many of us, me and my friends look back on it. We make fun of ourselves. Like, we what, we didn't have I hardly think, any wisdom to share. I think we all feel that way. I'm, I taught a Bible <laughs> study in college. I had no business teaching a Bible study in college, you know, yeah. but you, you know, yeah. But I will say, I think I got way more out of it than Absolutely. what I gave out. Bingo. You know, I would like to think I had an impact on quite a few high school guys. And I really look back and see what God did in me in my own heart. Bingo. And so I led for, for all through college and found so many of my closest friends there through that ministry and then came back and at the high school that I graduated from with my old Young Life leader, led high school Young Life for another four years. And so that was a really great experience. So you've come back from college, you're, you're helping out with Young Life back here in Middle Tennessee, and then you right away go work for Ramsey Solutions for Dave Ramsey, or are you kind of like, what am I going to do with my life? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. I came back and started working for Ramsey and that was a whole process. I spent several years really wrestling with that decision because on a lot of ways, I thought to myself, Hey, the crusade, the mission of Ramsey solutions, getting people out of debt, you know, helping people with their finances and several other areas of their life. But at that time it was primarily, you know, their personal finance. I thought I was kind of a hypocrite. I was like, I have no story. I have no hmm. testimony like my dad does. My dad went through bankruptcy and he he learned it himself and then began teaching it. I grew up in this household where money was was never an issue. We talked about it a lot. We learned all the right things to do, but I never had some crash and burn testimony right. to share. So how is this my mission? How is this my crusade? 
how can I really get on board with what we're doing? And so for me, through just a process of, of praying and talking to the Lord, I realized that that our company was actually a great opportunity for evangelism. And it had always been that. We'd always done an awesome job. My dad had always been so intentional about using it to introduce people to Jesus. And when I really focus in on that, that's when I realized that's my calling. Mm. And that's what I really felt God lighting up in my heart and really giving me a passion for was, hey, I may not have my money story or whatever. I get really excited when people call in our show to do a debt-free screening oh, or when they have Make a life change. Oh, it's amazing. It's crazy. It's amazing. I talked to your dad about that. And for folks that haven't been to Nashville, when you come, you do your music thing, city thing, the Ryman and all that, but come down and tour the Ramsey buildings and they have a stage where you can do the debt scream and you may not be one. To, is it just on Fridays now? You still do it just on Fridays? No, we do it every day. Every day. Mm-hmm. So you can stand there and chances are someone will come up and it'll bring you to tears. I mean, it's it's like, okay, they got out of debt. I'm going to hear the story. I dare you not to cry. <laughs> <laughs> There's something redemptive about because mm-hmm. we're debtors to sin and when that burden is lifted, and I think for me at least, that's my theological <laughs> observation: is you're getting free from this mm-hmm. slavery, mm-hmm. and it illustrates our freedom from sin. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so our company, you know, we're a Christian company, but we operate in the secular space. We don't promote ourselves as the Christian way to get out of debt or the Christian way to do X, Y, right. Z. We intentionally want to be in the market with all the regular, you know, secular audience our secret mission, I jokingly say that, like our secret mission, it's not very secret, but we are trying to meet people where they are in their point of pain, in their struggles, the things that they are losing sleep over. Mm. And we want to give them hope, a hope in a new future. And through that hope, we give them the tools to change their life. And through that, we build a relationship. So we meet them where they are. We build a relationship with them. And then we really earn the right to introduce them to Jesus that is really the young life strategy through and through. Mm. And I saw that those parallels when I was in college and realized like, this is a mission I can get really fired up about is yeah, I'm pumped when people come and do a debt free scream, but I, man, what I live for, why I come in on Monday morning is for that person that has the opportunity to meet Jesus on Mm. the other end. Mm. If we do our jobs well. Daniel, this is an issue for local churches because churches are always looking to go out in the mountain and get the vision and come down and Mm. they get stalled or stuck and they, you know, move the the deck chairs around Mm -hmm. and, and I'm old, you know, I'm older than your dad. And I'm like, preach the gospel, be focused on the one thing people need the most, be clear. Obviously it's great to meet them, you know, where their need is, that's powerful, but their need is Christ. And for whatever reason, we're embarrassed, we're ashamed, we're awkward delivering that. And it's been fun and watching Ramsey Solutions grow to where it is today because you guys seem very consistent in that lane. It's obvious. And I'm glad to hear you say that because strategies change, brands change, you know, interests change, conference titles change, but the message of Christ doesn't. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's exactly right. So when I really like honed in on that, that's when I got excited to come work here. And it really helped me overcome a lot of fear and pride that honestly was keeping me back. I was afraid of trying to fill shoes. I was prideful in the sense of I didn't want to live in my father's shadow. I wanted to be my own man. And really like latching on to that mission and that purpose and talking to God about it, I realized that fear and pride are not going to keep me from doing what he calls me to do. And so if you're in a family business, the thing I always recommend is you have to be very intentional 
on deciding whether you want to be in it or whether you invite your kids into it. And so my parents did an awesome job at really challenging us not to work at Ramsey unless we felt strongly called. And so we all each, me and my sisters had our different journeys in that. Yeah. You know, I just told my journey, but because of that weight, I felt like I had to do a lot of soul searching, a lot of prayer before I made that decision. And I'm so glad I did because it really solidified me in that decision. I see and talk to so many family businesses who aren't intentional. They just wander into their family business because they think it's an easy job or they have the best opportunity. And man, dysfunction runs rampant when that's not your calling. That's not what God has for you. We were talking earlier about, unfortunately, knowing some very wealthy families that, you know, have estate babies basically, and they do nothing. Mm -hmm. They live a very luxurious lifestyle, but they don't contribute. They don't have a eight to five ever. And it's like, that looks really cool from a distance, but when you see it up close, it's pretty ugly. It's pretty tragic. Now, you made a comment about family business and a number of in-context reboots and where we are today. Hannah Seymour is on their side of the glass running the show for me, and that was a discussion that I had with your father. I said, I need some time, real time, not just a you know email. And so we got together and I said, is it nepotism to hire my daughter? Tell me what you know, what I'm doing. And you know how your dad has this kind of, he kind of turns his head and squints his eyes like, you're really an idiot asking that question. (laughs) And he looked at me like, why wouldn't you hire her? And I was like, well, I'm coming to you to answer that question for me, you know? And it was very interesting because his philosophy was, if your family wants to work for you, they're the people that know you best and you trust most. That's right. And I thought, well, you put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I guess this can be a short conversation. <laughs> yeah. But there's also got to be some, I don't know about you, but some doubts in the stratosphere. Okay, what are my friends going to think? Okay, what's the popular poll going to think? Okay, what's the larger? I mean, when you do an aggregate of how many people listen to a Ramsey Solutions product a day, it's got to be what, north of three, four million? Yeah, about that. Three, four million, some people that are dialing in a day-to-day Ramsey shows, now the Ramsey Solutions. Is that haunt you any in the back of your head? <laughs> you know, for me, there's so many things in in any, you know, anyone's role or responsibilities that's heavy. You know, when we have things, when we have people that we're responsible for, if you're a leader out there and people's families are dependent on you yep. making wise decisions you know, over the years, I have felt more and more responsibility and with that comes weight. And so something I think you and I actually talked about this the other day, everything our company does and all of the impact we have at a glance, it feels daunting to me as now the president of this organization, because I know that if I screw something up, there's potentially millions of of people that won't be impacted the way that we're currently impacting them. And I also recognize that for me to think that it's all on my shoulders, for me to think that it's That's mine to screw up crazy. Yeah. or that it's mine to succeed or yeah. make successful is an incredibly arrogant thought. Yes. When God is actually in charge and I I recognize that he's the one it's leading good. this company, it is my role to show up and to serve and follow him, not to come up with the best ideas and the best direction for this business. It's my job to be consistently following him and looking for his guidance and also trusting in the gifts he's given me, you know. Yes. God has given me gifts that I am very confident in. in my so, what ability. are some of those? What are some of the things you're strong at? 
Well, too, I mean, we, we, you know, that's one of the know yourself things, right? Uh-huh. You need, I mean, there's too many tests out there, in my opinion. I'm very cynical about all these tests. There's a benchmark there. I'm a learner. I'm, you know, I'm a service person. I'm an idea generator. So what are Daniel Ramsey's couple of your strengths? Yeah, I think perspective is something for me. And what I mean by that is I think I'm really good at seeing multiple angles of a problem, whether there's a, a people issue, there's a tension between a few team members of seeing all the different sides before I jump to a conclusion. Wait, wait, wait. There's tension in team members at Ramsey Solutions? All the time. <laughs> <laughs> and oftentimes, you know, I'm the one that creates you're, it on you're accident the instigator. or yeah, something. You're the instigator. Uh, I am far from a perfect leader, and I, I screw things up a lot. There's only one of those uh, that we know of, so. That's right. <laughs> you're okay. You're okay. And so, yeah. Perspective? What else? Yeah, so for me, seeing the whole perspective on a business decision or a people issue and being able to land a decision – so I like taking all the different components and putting them together so we move forward. You know, if there's a spectrum from idea guy, someone who's just loves brainstorming and coming up with all the ideas, the far other end of the spectrum, someone who likes executing those ideas and pushing them across the finish line. I really don't love either of those. There's a chasm. I yeah. love all the in-between. Interesting. And so I love the in-between. I love being with the people who brainstorm and saying, all right, let's put a plan together the idea. To, okay. take, to take that forward. And I also am not the tactical detail person who wants to, to do all the nuanced things. And so I like putting the right people around a problem to make sure we cover all of our bases. But I, I feel like I enjoy conducting versus mm. being the star player in mm. you know, part of the orchestra. So That's a really good imagery. There was a, a guy named Max Dupree that wrote a number of books on leadership. And his second book was called Leadership Jazz. And it was a fascinating intro. He's the CEO, founder, president, you know, six, oh, not, the, not the founder, but down the line of, I think it's called Home Furnishings out in California. And if memory serves, that was a day where they'd hire an employee and the team, after 90 days, got to approve whether or not it was a permanent role. Mm-hmm. And very interesting philosophy of business, but his leadership jazz was, it's not an orchestra, it's not a symphony, because it's jazz, because there's this discontinuity between relationships and perspectives and observations, mm-hmm. and each person, you have, the saxophone has a solo. The drum has a solo The you know, whatever the piano has a solo, the vocal might have a solo, but then it all comes together and it's kind of a cacophony, but it works. And it was a great illustration back when I was in a leadership role, you know, different ways that was like, okay, that's an interesting way to think about this and orchestration and conducting is helpful. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to something you said earlier about kind of tying into your way you were raised and the company that in no small respect. You've been a part of building, but you've inherited, right, mm-hmm. a lot of what others have done before you. Mm-hmm. And there's this interesting chapter in First Chronicles chapter 29 that I've gone back to again and again, where David has accumulated the materials and supplies to build the temple, because God wouldn't let him build the temple. That was going to be his son. And the son was going to come along, and he's too young to know what he's doing, and so God says, you can build a house for yourself, David, but, you know, Solomon, it's going to be a while. And so David, I think rightly, puts things in place for his son, Solomon, who will come along and build the complex. And when they have all this stuff, and it's a great story because it says the people rejoiced, they offered willingly, 
and they made an offering to the Lord with a whole heart. And it's one of those remarkable passages in Scripture. I mean, everybody got along? And then David blesses the Lord, which in this case, he's talking to God about what God's done. And he goes through this whole thing. I won't read it. Blessed are you, O God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours is the greatness. I'm going to jump around. Yours is the power, the glory, the majesty, everything in the heavens and earth. Yours is the dominion. You exalt yourself, O us, head over all. Riches and honor come from you. You rule over all. And I commend people to read this chapter, First Chronicles 29. And then he says this in verse 14. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as all this? For all things come from you, and from your hand we have given to you. And I've always been struck by that because in the human endeavor, we think we're doing something. If he doesn't empower Daniel to do these things, and David's example was, I didn't do this, I was appointed king. But I messed up royally, no pun intended, three times, and you still used me, but you're going to use my son for the next level. And granted, you're not Solomon, and even though your dad is the namesake King David, he's not King David. (laughs) But the point being that, not to be trite, the point being that here was a legacy that was handed to Solomon, and David, in a way, sends it off saying, this is all you. And then he goes on to say, give to my son Solomon a perfect heart to keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, and to do all them to build the temple for which I have made provision. It's just an interesting thought, you know, that you've been handed this incredible, you know, we all stand on somebody's shoulders. That's right. Unless we start from scratch, scratch. And in your situation, you've been given a huge, heavy mantle Anyway, I, I just tossed that out there. What you, you know, thoughts, reaction? I know I'm kind of blindsiding you a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I love the part that you talked about that it wasn't all thrown on at once. You know, God set things aside so that when the right time, Solomon could do it. For me, when I first joined our company, you know, people would make jokes or, or people would want to have serious conversations about my future and do you want to be CEO? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And I really had to be like, hey, guys, I do not want to have those conversations. It is overwhelming. It Mm. is daunting for me to think about carrying the weight of that or to think about me being X, Y, or Z. And so, you know, my dad respected that. Other mentors or leaders respected that. And so for many years, I just came in, did my job to Mm -hmm. the best I could and grew. And it took a while before I was open to those conversations. And so... You know, when I joined the company full-time after college, I did sales for about two and a half years and I loved it. It was so much fun. So I started on the ground layer. Like I wasn't, I didn't come in as a leader or anything like that. I started just as a regular salesperson. And over the course of two and a half years, I became the largest revenue producing salesperson in the company and loved that role, had so much fun doing sales. Then I was given a small director level role, basically doing e-commerce on our financial peace team, something like that. It's an easy way to describe it and had a very small team and took that from just a few people to a much larger team. And just slowly over the years, God added more and more responsibility to my plate and more people and more larger financial decisions and you know larger budgets to manage. And so I slowly grew in my ability to handle you know, different scale of issues, different 
level of problems or opportunities that came across my desk. And so I was so thankful that God gave me all these experiences and we didn't have a clear path for me to become president. We didn't have like, hey, you're going to do this, then you're going to do that job, then that job. But what God had in store for me was basically me moving around the company. And there for about four or five years, I stayed Mm. in the same area, but my role, my responsibilities evolved a lot. They changed a lot where I took on new things. And so started in sales, basically did marketing, e-commerce, eventually got really into product management, like digital product management, managing a lot of technology and the experience that our customers got when they became members of our products. And then the last few years I've been on our entree leadership team, which our entree leadership, we coach small business owners. We help them grow their business. So we do a lot of family business type stuff, but we also talk about basics like delegation and communication, role clarity, strategic planning, creating vision, mission for core values. And so I've done that for the last two years. And every time I've changed roles, I've taken, you know, a leader has left and I've stepped into their shoes or something's happened, you know, some change has happened. And every time I've moved positions, interesting thing has happened. The natural tendency is when you're a new leader in a new area, it's easy to criticize everything around you. Like, what were they thinking? Why did we do this? You know, <laughs> guilty. And simultaneously, yeah. the person who took your place is doing the same thing. Exactly. And it was so humbling. That's a good thing you learned that it early. It was so humbling <laughs> over and over to see the person who took my place do a better job. Do, do, you know, <laughs> Like pull the skeletons out of the closet, see all the issues that I had left behind that I thought I was doing great. And I, and I, for the most part was. Well, to to inject their strengths and liabilities, we all have, right? There's an underbelly. You might have been excelling over here, but this wasn't your wheelhouse. And Mm -hmm. so there's negligence there and not intentional, not malfeasance, but it's okay. We didn't really address that. Oh, now we have a problem. (laughs) And then the new leader has a different set of eyes, you know? Yeah. So that process has honestly created in me a lot of grace for the people around me. When people screw up or when I see an issue or a situation, going back to perspective, like I was talking about earlier, my default has become over time to realize that there's two sides to the story or that, hey, this person led in this poor way because that's how they were modeled to them. And that person struggled because the person leading them struggled. And the people who I used to lead you know, could have been better because I could have been better. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's something healthy about having multiple people speak into an area and gaining and looking for perspective of all, of all areas. And so, so yeah, that's something that I've learned kind of the hard way. It's been a little bit of a brutal process. At your announcement, I noticed, and for those that don't know Ramsey Solutions, there's an operational board. Is that correct? The not right Mm -hmm. title. And that's comprised of family, but also other folks on your staff that have been there a long time? That's right. Yeah. So there's 16 operating board members and they're all a part of our team. They're not like a board of directors that's separate from the company. They all have full-time positions in our company. And so those people are basically our top leadership team and they all, from a compensation standpoint, get paid off of the bottom line of our company. So Dave very much believes in you know, sharing our profits and, and incentivizing and rewarding the people who think holistically about the business. And so that's, that's what we've done with our operating board. So I've been a part of that for, I'd say, six years now. One thing that impressed me in your announcement were these guys, and I know some of them pretty well. I was encouraged 
struck in some respects about the way they talked about you because it wasn't all you know it wasn't all oh this guy's walking on water it was more the thing i kept hearing was he's a learner he's teachable he seeks out counsel he seeks out advice he's not a lone ranger or kind of a you know a maverick kind of rogue (laughs) dude well i've been that quite a bit right but well i've learned that if i don't seek advice and I don't seek God's way. Well, My way typically point. doesn't lead. Yeah, that was their direction. point. Exactly. <laughs> but, but it's also, yeah. but you also have to be a little rogue and a little maverick to lead. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you can't just be not to be unkind, a bean counter, you yeah. know, a mediocre punch the clock person. You've got to think big picture, long-term, how to grow, how to mm-hmm. manage. Right. That's right. That's right. So yeah, I say, I talk about perspective and gaining different parts. I'm also a very direct, very decisive person. I make decisions very quickly, but I try to get information as quickly as I can in order to make the best decision. So I've had, you know, I've had leaders in the past who weren't decisive, who Mm. weren't driving things forward. And it always, I struggled in that environment, like speed, I value speed for sure. So yeah, that's something that I've tried to learn to do is, is to gain perspective very quickly. You mentioned personnel or, or individual tensions or relationships. I was probably 29, maybe even 28, when the first church I served as a pastor and one of our elders was over a very large defense industry with several hundred employees. And I went to see him. It was great to see where he worked. And I'll never forget him talking about you know what they were building and their technology and all. And I asked the question, I said, how much of your challenge in development and this defense system they were working on is technology and money and equipment versus personnel. And he died laughing. And he said, 85 plus percent of my struggles are people. That's right. And I was both shocked, encouraged. I laughed out loud. <laughs> and he's with the Lord named Cecil. And I said, Cecil, I should put that like on, you know, on calligraphy on my wall because in the local church, and now I'm hearing you say in a business, I'll never forget him talking about the tensions. And he worked largely with engineers about, you know, these engineers want to do it this way and these engineers that way. And they fight about it and they pick at each other about every little thing. And engineers are kind of fixed focused. So you've sort of intimated that. So how do you navigate that as a leader? You've got a lot of your time is, and I don't want to be condescending, but it's holding hands. It's trying to get people to work together. It's you guys have got to have a coffee and talk about this or one of you is gone by the end. I mean, how, how do you work through that? You know, the biggest issue that I'm always dealing with is clarity, a lack of clarity. And the symptoms of that are people not acting the way you want them to, mm-hmm. or not moving in the direction you want them to. And so As a leader, when I'm not intentional about creating extreme clarity across the board, and that clarity is directional clarity. Hey, this is where we're trying to take the business. This is our focus. This is our priorities. This is our strategy. Making sure everyone is is aligned to that. That clears up a ton of uh, drama. Sure. When people know, hey, the purpose here isn't to create the best engineered thing. The purpose is to deliver value as quickly as we can in the most feasible way. Because you're never going to have the engineering piece perfect. You're never going to have the internet perfect. You're never going to have the execution of the product perfect. Oh, man. When our creative team thinks that their job is to create the most artistic (laughs) thing possible, no, that's not why we hire them. We hire them to create 
the most value as quickly as possible. And it's and not, they get their feelings hurt because it's like, I really worked a hard time on that and you're not going to use it. Well, you know, honestly, it's our stakeholders who get their feelings hurt more. It's stakeholders who nitpick the creative's designs more than the creatives who want to over-design something. When you are clear to the team, our role, our responsibility is to deliver value to the market quickly or to solve this problem okay. in the most feasible Good. way. And you, you're clear with the, what that problem is. All right. So hey, clarity. So what yeah. else? What else? So yeah, yeah. Uh, different types of clarity. Yeah, so that's good. directional clarity. It's good. There's process clarity of, hey, here's how we operate. Here's how we go about our job. A here's, here's a system, you know, that may be your core values. Here's the values we value internally. And we make decisions based on these values. So when there is a conflict, it helps you point back to things like that. So directional clarity, process clarity, and role clarity, knowing- Hey, this is, this is your responsibility. This is your lane. Mm -hmm. We're asking you to drive this initiative. We're also asking you to serve on this initiative that's driven by someone else. And so knowing that you're not in charge of both these things, you're in charge of this thing. And we want you to collaborate on this thing over here and being really clear on what we expect from people. Expectation misalignment is, is always a huge problem everywhere. And leaders do a terrible job, myself included at clearly explaining what I expect. And and that's one thing I, I think. I don't think we're malevolent, but I do think there's a, I got an idea in my head and I see how this let's house should be built, mm-hmm. you know, and I have an idea and I've talked to my contractor and he goes, yeah, 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 I got it. And he waves his arms and then he builds something. I'm going, that's not, that's not what I had in mind. Now we got conflict. Mm-hmm. That's right. And that's where leadership I think is, is almost painful. Definitely. Because you've got to have a visual, you've got to have a theoretical, you've got to have a concrete execution of what it's going to look like, mm-hmm. and you got to align the stars so that they go, okay, I see my part in that. Yeah. If leadership is maintaining a garden, it is all about doing the little things consistently over time to make sure you're keeping the weeds out, make sure you're fertilizing the soil, make sure you're watering it. If you aren't doing just the consistent things necessary to bring clarity to your your team or to make sure you're keeping the drama out, whatever those things are, it's going to make your life so much easier down the road if you're regularly maintaining it well versus trying to overhaul everything every, you know, 12 or six months or something like that. Okay. Final question. How does Daniel Ramsey, and some of this is theoretical, perhaps, how do you envision yourself in three to five years to stay close to Christ that your moorings are my Lord, my bride, my kids, your child at this point, but children probably to come a sanity of life <laughs> that you don't eat, sleep, drink, Ramsey solutions. At some point you're just mm-hmm. your dad and a husband and having a good time with your friends, you know, how do you envision staying close to Christ and keeping those alignments? You know, I haven't figured this out. My wife, Allison and I were actually talking about that this morning of this week, since we've made this announcement, I felt a lot of weight sure, and weight of the responsibility we were talking about earlier, which kind of goes back to what we said of like, Hey, I subconsciously am trying to carry this when I know that I need to let God carry this, let the Lord carry this and for me to follow. So I think it's all about making sure my identity doesn't become my role. My identity doesn't become my actions. My identity is in being a son of Jesus Christ, you know, not a son of Dave Ramsey, 
not a father, not a husband. All those things are wonderful blessings that God has given me. And it's all responsibilities he's given me. But I need to rest in the Lord. And and for me, that is so hard. And I have to make that a decision every day and throughout the day. And so practically speaking, I think it's having people around me that are able to call me out and hold me accountable mm-hmm. to being true to that. I think that's obviously me having quiet time with the Lord where I'm seeking that from him. That's obviously my wife and I being on the same page. That's me having friends. Uh, I have a lot of friends at work and they're that's great, but it's so important for me to have friends outside of work. You got to have closer than brother friends. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And I, I have a great, wonderful group of friends Good. that pour into me and we pour into each other and we, we make fun of each other and they've made fun of me a lot this week and it's been great. I bet. <laughs> and so, you know, I think that is a, is a thing we probably all struggle with of, of staying centered. And I hope when I look three to five years out, if I do those things well, I believe that, that I will stay centered. Your dad and I share a, a bizarre sense of humor that most people don't know, but one of our favorite Larson cartoons are the two deer. The one's got the target on the side of it, and it says, Bummer of a birthmark, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Bummer of a birthmark, Daniel. <laughs> you know, th- there is a sense in which you stand before Christ alone on your own two feet. But at the end of the day, you know, you got to navigate that. It's obvious that your operational board and your dad and your family, and it was endearing to hear your sisters talk about you because you got two big sisters who I'm sure would love to mother you endlessly. (laughs) And yet now they're going to work for you and with you. Anyway, Daniel Ramsey, president of Ramsey Solutions. If you don't know about Ramsey Solutions, it's a full orb ministry to help you not just get out of debt, not just manage your finances, but in all kinds of ways, how to structure your small business, how to organize an entrepreneurial effort. If you're a homemaker and you stay at home mom and you're saying, Hey, I can do this pretty well. They've got all kinds of aspects and I would call them ministries where you can learn how to make a little side hustle, how to use your gifting, how to become debt free, obviously, but most importantly, how to follow Christ. And I'm excited excited for you, Daniel. Excited for Allison. I'll be praying for you guys as the days and weeks unfold that you find your rhythms. Be sure to take care of yourself and take some good breaks, brother. Thanks so much. Thanks for your friendship. Really appreciate you. Love and appreciate you guys. Did you know that In Context is fully funded by our listeners like you? If you are a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation? You can give at michaelincontext.com. In Context is produced by Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonomorphic, and music composed by Tycho and Blair Masters.